eavesdropping is welcome on the desert's best conversations with Charlie Dyer. Mindfulness has exploded in popularity in recent years, but someone's interest in mindfulness does not necessarily translate into that person becoming a mindful leader. Understanding mindfulness can be challenging. Even more difficult is making it a regular practice in your everyday life. These ancient practices were not developed in order to improve business. They are meant to shift our consciousness and way of being in the world. Yet our guest today says these practices are essential to mindful leadership and to creating the type of supportive organizational culture that allows businesses and people to thrive. Thank you so much, Mark Lesser, for being here today on Conversations with Charlie Dyer on iHub Radio. My pleasure to be here, Charlie. Well, the new book is Seven Practices of a Mindful Leader, Lessons from Google and a Zen Monastery Kitchen. Mark is a CEO, Zen teacher, author, and leads trainings and talks worldwide. He has led mindfulness and emotional intelligence programs at many of the world's leading business organizations, and including Google, SAP, Genentech, and Kaiser. Mark is currently CEO of ZBA Associates. Previously, he served as CEO and co-founder of the Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute, whose core program he helped develop within Google. Mark was a resident of the San Francisco Zen Center for 10 years and currently leads Mill Valley Zen. That's a weekly meditation group. He has an MBA from New York University and is the author of a few more books, including Less, Accomplishing More by Doing Less, and Know Yourself, Forget Yourself. Check it all out on his website, Mark Lesser. Dot net. That's M-A-R-C-L-E-S-S-E-R. Well, let's start with what you call the dirty little secret of the business world, Mark, as we, we think about what makes up company culture. The one word answer to that is the dirty little secret of the business world is people, that it's all people. To expand on that a little bit, it's people working together and it's people who are attempting to um, accomplish, accomplish, uh, hopefully, an, an agreed upon, agreed upon results. And um, and and this could make this can be challenging. People, these these human beings uh, working together uh, under the pressure of getting uh, measurable results can be can um, often uh, often has some some can be really difficult to do well. Well, you write that the idea of mindful leadership is not exactly a new thing. So talk about where it got its roots. And let's go through some of the examples that you actually include in the book of the noticeable benefits to this approach that you've identified over the years, Mark. There's a piece that comes from the, uh, an essay from the Zen tradition called Instructions to the Head Cook. And this was written by a man named Dogen, Ehe Dogen. Uh, who was the founder of Zen in the 13th century in, in Japan. And in this, um, you know, so this is uh, um, 800 years ago, he is giving instructions for how the head cook in a, in a kitchen uh, should function. And so these are, you know, uh, these are instructions for how to integrate um, kind of emotional intelligence, spiritual practices, practices around uh, selflessness with getting things done. And his um, uh, Dogen's suggestion is that the, the head cook in, in the kitchen monastery uh, work with what he calls three different minds or three attitudes. And these are a joyful mind, a grandmother mind, and wise mind. 
and, and I find that these um, these instructions, you know, they may to, to our ears they may sound quite, you know, aspirational, uh, but but I find that um, don't we all don't we all really want to work with a sense of joy, with a sense of you know unconditional love and and with real um, with real wisdom. So I find that these uh, these instructions from 800 years ago are are quite useful and relevant today. Okay, so let's talk about some of these benefits that you uh, you include here in the book that like mindful leadership cultivates a richness of experience. I, I think here maybe it's useful to make the connection between mindfulness and um, and this whole big realm of um, emotional intelligence. So there's emotional intelligence is a big bucket of competencies that include things like self-awareness and empathy and self-management and uh, things like um, communication skills. And there's a tremendous amount of um, research and evidence within the realm of emotional intelligence. And now there's more and more research and evidence as well as people's experience in in having a mindfulness practice, the practice of the, the, the way you pay attention and the quality of your attention is an important element in leading to greater um, emotional intelligence. So with greater emotional intelligence and with a mindfulness practice comes this sense of uh, richness, uh, seeing that you know, it's, it's, easy to, it's easy to get into habits and patterns and take things for granted, to take other people for granted, to take our experience for granted, and to lose sight of really just how, um, how magical and miraculous it is. Things, it is being alive, our, our consciousness. Um, I mean, if you, if you stop and think about it just for a moment and, and ask the question about, well, what what is consciousness and, and how, how is it that, um, that we are here, that we're alive, that we're breathing, that we have all of these, um, that, that we have all these emotions, that we have these, these brains with many uh, hundreds of billions of neurons. So anyhow, just, um, just the, the sense of uh, that we don't have to make the world rich. We just have to get out of the habits that we have of undermining the richness that's already there. Well, talk about why companies and executives actually work with you, Mark. I mean, what motivates them to explore mindfulness? Because it feels and sounds very sort of uh, airy-fairy, you know, woo-woo when you talk (laughs) about it and not necessarily something that uh, very buttoned-up folks in the business world would want to listen to. People refer to it often as the as the soft skills, but I, I like to think that actually it's the hard skills. It's the hard skills of how we work with the way that we think and the way that we feel. And in particular, the reason companies work with me and work want are, are now uh, in a really passionate way bringing in uh, mindfulness programs is because more and more companies uh, realize that people need to work together. Uh, that they're, they're, the more the more people can uh, collaborate effectively, the better companies will be in producing results, in being creative, in solving real problems. I mean, I'm I'm amazed when I go into companies these days, like uh, like Google or even much smaller companies, 
Um, I, I'm working with a few different startups now, and it's it's more and more common that that people work with teams that have people from a variety of cultures, and people are working with teams um, across time zones and uh, across cultures, and and uh, it's so important that people be able to have greater self-awareness, greater ability to work to work well um, in teams. Well, Mark, you posed the question, how do you give away your power to hundreds of people from many walks of life over the years? So let's go through some of those answers that they've given you that, that you actually include in the bookmark, like something like, I say yes when I mean no. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I think it's pretty common that uh, people have have uh, well-honed strategies for avoiding uh, conflict and difficulty, for not, uh, for not speaking their own, uh, their own truths. And this is a, um, not a very effective way to, um, to get along with, with, other, with other people, even though we, we do it thinking that we're, uh, that we're going to get along by avoiding conflict and difficulty. And it's a way that we give away our power. Another one is, I rush from one thing to another to get to the quote-unquote important stuff and don't appreciate what I'm doing in the moment, which sounds like mindfulness. Yeah, I mean, this is a core, uh, a core mindfulness practice is, right, to actually be present for what we're doing. And one of the things that I've noticed and I imagine uh, your listeners can relate to is almost the the religion of busyness that we feel in our in our um, in our lives today, particularly with the advent of uh, technologies that that seem to allow us and almost demand that we be uh, on twenty four seven, and that and that this the sense of uh, busyness can get in the way of paying attention to what's important right now, to connecting effectively with with other people, to to connecting effectively with with ourselves. And how about I overthink decisions and then overthink my overthinking, which seems very <laughs> obsessive. Well, it may it may be obsessive, but how you know it's uh, I think it's so common. It's so common that um, we all we we all have this very um, or almost all of us have a very strong sense of an, an inner critic. I one of the uh, stories I tell in the book is that my, one of my uh, Google scientist friends likes to say that we are uh, we are descendants of the the nervous apes that we have built into us this in, it's in our genetics it's in our DNA to be scanning for threats to be looking for what can go wrong so this um, this third uh, statement that you bring up of um, overthinking decisions and then overthinking my overthinking is is a way that of kind of scanning. It's a way of um, that we're all a little bit walking on eggshells, not wanting to be wrong, not wanting to make a mistake, um, not wanting to be criticized. This is um, extremely common in the in the business world. And certainly as we talk about people giving away their power, uh, giving away things that you think are important to you, but even on an emotional level, like I avoid having deep conversations or discussing topics that make me feel vulnerable, which again, doesn't necessarily sound like something that you would think about in the workplace. It's a bit paradoxical that 
that even in the workplace, and this is this is coming out more and more in uh, studies and research that people are doing about what makes good leadership, that the ability to be authentic, the ability to be transparent, uh, the ability to admit when we don't know something is a a really important quality, not only of a leader, but I would say of any anyone working working with other people in the business world. I mean, that's I mean, it isn't isn't aren't those the kind of people that you want to relate to and work with when you're uh, doing doing business with people? Well, in Seven Practices of a Mindful Leader, Mark, you include a quote by Walker Evans, meditation means living with eyes wide open. Talk about what you think that conveys, even though he wasn't necessarily talking about meditation per se, and, and how leadership and meditation actually have much in common. Yeah, you know, Walker Evans was a phenomenal photographer who was taking pictures uh, during the Depression. So he he was noticing the suffering and pain and difficulty that people were having around around um, in society, and and this is, I think, a core uh, a core attribute of a leader or anyone in the in the work world is to this aspiration to see what's real, to not avoid to not avoid seeing the things that are not working in your business. Um, not not pretending that things are going well when they're not going well, to be able to lean into uh, difficult relationships, to be able to have important and difficult conversations. So this whole realm, I think this this whole realm of uh, finding and developing ways to face into difficulty and conflict is just core leadership skill. Coming up, the conversation continues with Mark Lesser discussing his new book, Seven Practices of a Mindful Leader, Lessons from Google and a Zen Monastery Kitchen. Thank you for listening, and please like iHub Radio on Facebook. I'm Charlie Dyer. Eavesdropping is welcome on the desert's best conversations with Charlie Dyer. We're talking about Mark Lesser's new book, Seven Practices of a Mindful Leader, Lessons from Google and a Zen Monastery Kitchen. I wanted to say one more thing about some of these giving away your power things because it's so relevant to our daily lives, everybody, regardless of who you are. And that's uh, I check email, social media, or find other distractions when I feel the least bit sad or anxious, which could be just parking yourself on the couch and uh, Netflixing (laughs) for hours (laughs) on end. There's nothing wrong with being a a couch potato and having some refuge from time to time. But it's a problem when it becomes a habit, when any time we feel the slightest sense of loneliness, right, not belonging, any kind of discomfort, that, that it, can be, it can literally become a, an addiction. It can become habitual, an addictive way of avoiding our own discomfort. And again, it's somewhat paradoxical, but imagine being curious every time we're feeling a sense of uh, discomfort or loneliness or, or not belonging or, or even, um, yeah, just, just to become curious about it, to not have to push it away. And m- my experience and experience of the, you know, many people that I work with um, inside and outside the business world is that when we stop avoiding the, those, uh, those difficult feelings underneath that there's a, a real sense of um, confidence that that can grow, a real sense of greater um, appreciation of of ourselves and 
an appreciation of the common humanity that 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 these these feelings of um, uh, uh, these difficult feelings are every everyone has them that we, it doesn't it doesn't mean uh, we don't we don't always have to be we don't always have to be happy we don't always have to be um, perfect we don't always have to feel good uh, that we can actually paradoxically increase our sense of well-being by accepting that it can be difficult being human. Let's walk our way through uh, the seven practices here and and talk about some of the success stories that you've had along the way. And uh, where did these uh, seven practices actually originate? Was it in Google or something? And and is there a difference between doing a practice and, and developing a habit? And let's start with the, you kind of lump them together, investigate and uh, and love the work is the first thing. I like the seven practices and the way that they sound and feel. So it's love the work, do the work, don't be an expert, connect to your pain, connect to the pain of others, depend on others, and keep making it simpler. Uh, These are the seven practices. I like this concept of practices in that they are, you know, they have a lot in common with, with what we think of as habits, but they have quite a bit more intention in them. Practices are something that again and again, you you need to remember and intentionally take up doing these things as as practices in your daily life. And um, in response to you asking, well, where did these come from? Yeah, these these actually came from um, several years ago. I was part of a team that was developing a, that developed a mindfulness program uh, inside of Google that was made for Google engineers and for employees worldwide. And it was a program that um, after it was introduced, it became more and more popular that that people were signing up uh, like crazy, wanting to take uh, wanting to take this uh, mindfulness and emotional intelligence uh, program that we had uh, developed. And we we're trying to figure out how to scale it, how to how to offer it to more people. So we decided to train, a group of about a dozen Google uh, engineers to teach uh, mindfulness, and these seven practices emerged in that um, in one of those training sessions uh, when I I brought a um, a friend of mine in who was a a well known kind of Zen teacher writer poet and asked him to give a uh, to give some instruction to these Google engineers answering the question uh, what what would be most important? What are the most important attributes of someone who wanted to be a mindfulness teacher inside of Google? And and my friend, uh, my friend Norman, kind of spontaneously uh, came up with this list of seven practices. And and as soon as I heard them, I thought I thought these these practices go far beyond even what it means to teach mindfulness. These these define how I want the culture of the company that I was running to be. And, and even beyond that, I felt like these, this is how I, this is how I want to be as a leader. And this is, these are the practices that might define how I want to show up in all parts of my life in all of my relationships. And why did Google want to embrace mindfulness and and mindful leadership and, and, and bring you in? What was their reason? Google takes really good care of their employees and they also, it's, it's an incredibly uh, demanding place where they are 
regularly measuring people's outcomes and performance and comparing them to other people's outcomes and performance. It's a very um, high-powered, results-oriented organization. And they were looking, the question they were trying to answer is how could we best uh, take care of the well-being of our of our employees? And they thought that um, uh, offering this mindfulness and emotional intelligence program was was a really good way to do that. And then I think it, it turned out that uh, mindfulness and emotional intelligence went beyond even even well-being, uh, that it they noticed and they started measuring the ways that it contributed to actually increasing productivity of the employees, and it also increased the uh, leadership skills of, of people within the company. Well, let's talk about the difference between a practice and a habit and how that is different or similar here. By definition, I think a, a habit is something that we want to uh, put into our lives and in a sense uh, not have to think about it, right? We just, uh, a habit generally is something that that we do that doesn't contain a sense of um, uh, ongoing um, aspiration or intention. And that's great. I think it's really important that we have, uh, that we have wholesome, effective uh, habits in, in our lives. And I would say that a, a practice, um, it's very similar, but as I was saying earlier, I think that um, a practice is something that in a way we don't, we don't want it to just disappear in our, it, within our actions. It's something that um, it's good to remember and to bring up a, again and again, which is interesting because the, um, you know, the, uh, the word, the, the kind of ancient uh, kind of Pali word, uh, sati, that is translated into the word that we in English think of as mindfulness, literally means to remember. It's the practice of remembering that we are here, that we are alive, that we're present. Well, our guest today on Conversations with Charlie Dyer on iHub Radio is Mark Lesser. His new book is Seven Practices of a Mindful Leader, Lessons from Google and a Zen Monastery Kitchen. Check it out, his website, marklesser.net. That's M-A-R-C-L-E-S-S-E-R. Thank you so much for being here today on Conversations, Mark. Thank you, Charlie. Appreciate it a lot. What do you think of Conversations? Write me an email to charlie.dyer at ihubradio.com. Be sure to like iHub Radio on Facebook and tell all your friends about the digital difference in the Coachella Valley. Thank you for listening. I'm Charlie Dyer.